Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rob Taylor, a.k.a. the Penguin Gotham, and you are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Hey, Bubs, this is Cal Dodd. You're now listening to Geek Vibes Live. Hello, how is everyone doing this wonderful afternoon? This Thursday, at least in Georgia, rainy afternoon. Hope everyone's having a great time. I am your host for this wonderful interview with Geek Vibes Nation uh, on Geek Vibes Live, of course. Uh, I'm Dana Alps. Uh, you might know me from the movie show Geek Vibes Live and the wrestling show that was on last night. New episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance premiered last night at 8 o'clock. I'll have it back, guys, 7 o'clock like I normally do. Just me going solo, but, you know, uh, next week we'll have the full crew and definitely check out Geek Vibes Live over on Sunday nights. Uh, we dropped that at 8 o'clock. Talk about the greatest things within film and geek-related film, you know, comic book genre stuff, if you will. So this interview is going to be great. Just waiting for our uh, wonderful guest to come on. And uh, I guess before he gets here, let me go over a couple plugs. If you guys are new to it, uh, we'd love you to be a part of GV Nation, Geek Vibes Nation, if you will. Um, to do so or, or get more, you know, interacting with Go to our website, gvnation.com. That's GV as in Geek Vibes, nation.com. And that will have links to all of our news articles that we have coming out uh, that our wonderful writers spend a lot of time, you know, dropping new stuff, working on, you know, their own think pieces, if you will. Uh, We also have links to our iTunes. We have links to pretty much um, every form of media within Facebook, uh, you know, uh, blog talk, obviously, with this, uh, Twitter, Instagram. So check that out. We'd really appreciate it. Join Geek Vibes Nation on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And um, I'll kind of fill you guys in on who we're waiting for. Um, uh, The awesome actor by the name of Stuart Stone. Um, I mean, this guy is going to be a lot of fun for me personally to talk about because he's a man of many traits. You see... He understands different forms of geekdom. He's a big fan. He's an actor. He's a voice actor. Uh, He's a rapper. Uh, He's somewhat of a professional wrestler. And all that type of stuff is near, dear to my heart. So as soon as Stuart calls in, we will add him, and we will have a lovely interview with him. Hope, like I said, everyone's doing good out there. 
I'm just, you know, basically I'm trying to kill time. So maybe I can do some audio cues. Let's see. But which ones do we have right now? This one's fun. And that's the bottom line. Just go, go, Well, I think that was appropriate because I, I'm pretty sure that we have our guests on, um, on hold. So let me introduce our guest. Our guest today is a film, television, and voice actor, director, and also producer of television, film, and music. In film, he is best known for his roles in Donnie Darko and The Boys Club, as well as voice work for childhood cartoons that I and you watch, like The Magic School Bus, X-Men Animated Series, and The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers. He also has toured as both a successful comedian and rapper, Geek Vibes Nation. Give it up for Stuart Stone. How are you doing today, Stu? Pretty good, man. How you doing? Thanks for giving it up. <laughs> Not a problem at what all, an, man. What an, in, what an introduction. Very nice. Hey, I do what I can, man. You you have quite a list of interests, professions, and accomplishments. Uh, quite a renaissance, man. Oh, thanks, man. You know, you got to have quite the hat collection these days if you want to make it in uh, in this world. Absolutely. I feel like we are kindred spirits on our uh, passions of geekdom, if you will. I'm also in <laughs> comics, professional wrestling, film, animation, big music buff and hip-hop buff. I uh, love uh, comedy and stamp comedy, and I love horror movies. So uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. Sounds like it's a match, man. Swipe right. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. All right. Uh, but, yeah, so I – I want to talk. Uh, start off with asking you about your your role in a movie that I watched, Stu. Um, shit, 2001. So that's when I was a freshman in high school. Um, at an age basically where I was going from the whole kid to adult teen mode, and I watched a movie called Donnie Darko, in which you play the role of Ronald Fisher. Um, all of my friends watched it. It blew my mind. I think it was before I fucking started taking drugs and shit back then. Uh, it still just completely bewildered me. What is it like to be a part of a cult classic like that? I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, you it's it's hard to imagine how lucky of a person you have to be to, you know, to 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 be able to be a part of a project like that. And um, you know, when we were making that movie, we certainly, you know, we didn't know that it was going to be what it was. And, you know, when we saw the movie for the first time, you know, much like a lot of people out there, we were, like, scratching our heads, like, what the fuck is this? And uh, the fact that so many people, you know, just gravitated towards the film, it's just incredible. Like, when it first came out in the theater, it bombed. Like, it was a complete bust. And it wasn't until after the movie came out on you know, DVD and that blockbuster and stuff like that, um, people really started gravitating to the movie so much so that it ended up becoming so popular and making so much money on that market that they ended up re-releasing it in theaters two years two years later, and it had like a second shelf life. And then, it, and then after that, it just kept going on forever. So, you know, yeah, it's... Uh, Donnie Darko is just one of those things that's, uh, you know, it's an honor to have been a part of that movie, and it's definitely like a great little piece of street cred to throw down whenever anybody sort of like 
you know, questioning whether whether or not you have any, uh, you know, you belong at the poker table. You can always play uh, Donnie Darko as your as your trump card. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. I just, I'm assuming that you know you and a young, not really known Seth Rogen and a not very known Gyllenhaal were just on set for this movie that you liked the script and didn't realize that it was going to become as big as it is. And like you said, it was a financial bomb in theaters, but the movie itself resonated with, I'm I'm assuming mine and your generation. I think you're five years uh, difference from me in age, but it's, it's a really unique movie. And it's one of those movies that you can tell someone like, Hey, you want something, watch something fucking just out there, but awesome. You give them Bunny Darko, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I agree with you. I think uh, you nailed it right there. I mean, it's uh, it captured the imagination of an entire generation in a lot of ways, and you know it's really really cool and rare to uh, to be able to be a part of something so so awesome. I mean, literally, I it's 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 so awesome. <laughs> like when we were when we went to uh, back in the day when we went to Comic Con with the movie. Uh, I guess like it was probably like right after the movie had just come out on DVD and stuff. We went to uh, Comic-Con in San Diego before, you know, this is before Comic-Con exploded the way that it is now. And, you know, really was uh, hardcore geekdom represented back back in those days. It wasn't so, like, mainstream as it is now. And even then, um, I remember we had, like, a panel and we did, like, a little table there, like, sort of announcing that Donnie Darko was going to be coming back out into theaters. And there was like lineups and lineups of people like dressed up in like cosplay as like Frank the Bunny or Donnie or wow. you know a couple you know it was it was like what that's when it really hit us that it was like whoa this is something much bigger than even we realized and that's when you become literally a part of pop culture uh, in essence yeah yeah I guess so. Um, I think, you know, making that movie was definitely uh, an awesome experience as well. And just getting, you know, I mean, getting to put a lot of myself into into it as well. Like a lot of the stuff in that film was like, you know, ad-libbed and not in the script. And a lot of the jokes and stuff that made it to the final movie, like were just us joking around on set. And, you know, the I, I'm, my character for Halloween originally in the script – I think I was supposed to be like a clown or something like that for Halloween. And uh, I was like, listen, if this was really me in 1988 going out for Halloween, then I would, I would probably not be a clown. I'd probably be Hulk Hogan. And they were like, all right, well, throw it together, throw it together and, and, and do it. So like I literally ran out, like got, you know, teamed up with the, the uh, wardrobe and makeup department. And we, found a mustache and we found the blonde wig and I made the shirt and we wrote Ronald Mania instead of Hulkamania and it was so funny and so like when I first came out on the set like nobody knew that what what the costume was going to be so I was definitely walking around like as the Hulkster having fun like all day it was so good and you know that type of thing you know it's like that's a that's a small thing but it's a memorable thing about the movie it's just like another pop culture type of moment just to be in that sort of Halloween sequence too. That was just, it's really cool. Really cool. 
I'm really happy that you said that because I was ho- I watched I rewatched the movie this last week and I hadn't seen it in a while and I was hoping that since you're a wrestling fan that that was you doing the whole Hulk Hogan thing so no that, for that's sure. pretty that's that, that was pretty cool but we'll talk more about the wrestling stuff I I want to transition this um, you know you working on this movie and working on films and doing a lot of voice acting when you were younger um, you were part of a show another big show at least you know for our generation as far as like a had this huge um, boom to it uh, with that man animated series. You played uh, Proteus and you played uh, young Charles Xavier uh, for a good while. What was it like being a part of that uh, cartoon? Uh, I mean, again, it's like I've just been one of these like really lucky guys to be a part of so many cool projects that have had, you know, have stood the test of time. And, you know, X-Men for sure is one of those. That cartoon is, it's like when I was a kid, G.I. Joe was like the best cartoon ever. And I think like the kids that were came after me, X-Men was that for them. And it's so cool to be a part of a show like that. I mean, Donnie Darko, X-Men, uh, the Magic School Bus, you know, these are yeah. all kind of, these are all sort of projects that are still as popular now as they were, if not more than when they first came out. So I've been really, really lucky uh, in my career. To, to land some really cool opportunities, and for sure X-Men was one of them. Yeah, our, our funny thing is our, our first two guests were alumni with the whole entire X-Men animated series franchise. Our first guest that we had on the show a couple of years back was the LeWalds, Julia and Eric, which were awesome, extremely nice. And then we had um, Cal Dodd on uh, the next episode, uh, Wolverine. So oh, cool. that must have been cool to be a kid and be, you know, performing with these characters that are also blowing up in the comic books as well at the same time. Oh, I mean, listen, my I grew up in the baseball card and comic book era where we were obsessed yep. with collecting comic books and baseball cards. I actually made a documentary about the baseball cards, which I'll tell you about later. But the comic books, you know, I would collect them all, buy one copy to read, buy two of them to put in, like, into the sleeve with the hardback. And, you know, I was a diehard collector in X-Men and... Avengers and Fantastic Four, like any kind of crew, <laughs> like very, I guess that would explain why I ended up like liking Wu-Tang Clan and other sort of crews later on in life. But I was obsessed with, with X-Men for sure. And to be, you know, on the show and reading the scripts and seeing like the comic books come to life, it was pretty, it's amazing. It's, it's, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I could come up with any other word to explain it other than amazing. It was, it was definitely so cool. I got the spoilers on uh, where the season was going before anybody. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, man, I love that show. Um, and, yeah, it, it just uh, just being a part of um, the 90s, you know, with so many animated shows and um, must have been a really cool experience. So you, you basically progressed with voice acting, you know, into acting. Uh, we, we talked about Donnie Darko. And it seems like, you know, you took the role of a producer and also a director – um, with directing recently, uh, you, you you already talked about it a little bit, but you directed a documentary called Jack of All Trades about baseball cards, I believe came out uh, earlier this year, uh, and then yeah. you directed two horror films, uh, the, house, the, the Haunted House of Kirby Rhodes, sorry about that, and Scarecrows. Um, yeah. Whichever one you want to cover first, uh, definitely let me know and just dive into it. Yeah, I mean, the opportunity to direct sort of, fell into my lap when uh, um, 
you know, I found out that there were, you know, companies looking to sh- to to, uh, to shoot uh, some new horror movies. And, you know, at first I was approached about directing and I was like, yeah, 100% I want to do that. And they were like, okay, how about this script? And it was like, I don't want to say the name of it, but it just, it wasn't very good. So I was like, listen, if I'm going to take a shot and make something that might not be very good, can I at least make it my own not very good? And they were like, yeah, sure. So uh, we came up with that movie, The Haunted House on Kirby Road, which is basically like a stoner horror movie where um, a bunch of kids go looking for some trouble. They end up uh, visiting a place that's allegedly a haunted house. They smoke some weed. Shit happens. (laughs) And uh, we had so much fun. We had so much fun making that movie. Um, Almost too much fun. But uh, the company that we made it for ended up liking it so much, they were like, what else you got? And uh, doing like a um, multi-film deal with them to do more of these types of horror and genre films. And Scarecrows was the next idea that they they loved. So we went for it. And uh, I think from Haunted House to on Kirby Road to Scarecrows, if you watch those movies back-to-back, not that anybody is going to do that, but if they do, (laughs) uh, you'll see obviously a huge – you can see like lessons learned from the first one carried over into the second one. There's definitely – one is so much more of an improvement over the other one, but uh, the, the characters in the universe are in the same kind of world. And uh, without giving any major spoilers away, uh, there's definitely a connection between the two movies. Like, there's characters and Easter eggs and stuff that show that the Scarecrow's movie is sort of a continuation of the world that we created in uh, The Haunted House on Kirby Road. So it's really cool. It's exciting. And the fact that we're working in a, with a company like Breakthrough Entertainment and Uncorked um, who support independent film and let us just sort of go out and make the films and... You know, they they sort of are an incubator for, you know, filmmakers to try things and there's not rules. It's really, uh, it's an unbelievable experience to to work um, on these types of films. It's so much fun. I I love horror movies. And I could just tell literally from the trailers for each film, like you were saying, there was definitely a growth. The Haunted House of Kirby Road seemed like a fun not a slasher, but like a bunch of kids doing something stupid, and you know that all of them, except for probably one, will be dead by the end of this film. Uh, the fact that you guys are keeping it within the same shared universe, uh, very much like Blumhouse is doing with the uh, you know the Conjuring series and whatnot. Uh, Scarecrows, that trailer was really creepy. Uh, it gave me a very a Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, feel to it, but I loved um, what you did as far as. The filming itself, it, it, the graininess of the filming and, and, and what you use for, um, I, I can't think, resolutions, uh, you know, to change up. It had almost like, it reminded me of Jeepers Creepers, like that first one. Um, but, yeah, just a uh, lot's happening in that film. Uh, you know, obviously some dude's not really enjoying uh, teenagers, and he's grabbing them and turning them to human scarecrows. Very creepy. Yeah, comment. I mean... It sounds uh, it sounds crazy, but it, that's that's exactly what the movie is. It's uh, you know, the, in Kirby Road, the kids were in a haunted house, so the there wasn't it was more like supernatural elements of the house that that that, and we didn't really have like a bad guy, so to speak, like a villain, and that was something that I really wanted to do, and 
you know, growing up watching Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Friday the 13th and Puppet Master and every all these amazing, you know, it was an amazing golden era for, you know, slasher movies. I wanted to sort of do something in that vein. So we came up with this farmer character and, uh, you know, God forbid you should ever be on his farm because he does not like trespassers. But uh, the movie is still in the same tone. It's still very, there is a lot of laughs in the movie too. It's very doesn't take itself so seriously but um definitely we amped up the production because when you're shooting in a haunted house you're like in a house the whole time and in a cornfield it's a, such a it's a much more beautiful canvas you're outdoors there's a cornfield there's a sky there's a whole world out there and um yeah you could tell you can see the difference you know you can't you, stuff like using a drone we couldn't do that inside of a house but in a cornfield you can um, just, just stuff like that, that just really, um, changed from one film to the other. But again, it's not like, uh, you watch Scarecrows, you just make some popcorn. It's not going to hurt your brain to like figure out what's going on. And hopefully you're going to laugh a few times. You're going to scream a few times and you may even roll your eyes a few times. And that's, that's exactly what we're going for. Absolutely. And I, that's, such a great trait for you know you like classic '80s slasher films, um, or not not necessarily '80s, but you know you 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 watch a movie like House of a Thousand Corpses, for instance, which is obviously not '80s, but like Friday Thirteenth, I think it was Part Two, uh, or um, you know uh, something like Texas Massacre or the remake of it. You have a bunch of like younger kids going on a journey to have fun, and you know obviously that stuff's not going to work out for them like they want. They want to all get laid and just have fun, but something's going to get in the way of that. And I love that just easy kind of setup that's been done a lot in horror movies, but I love it explored uh, more, you know, differently, obviously. And I like, I miss having, you know, a lot of horror movies. Yeah, they have the nun and there's, there's different stuff in the conjuring series, but these icons of horror, it kind of, has dwindled, and I appreciate with Scarecrows, you went ahead and did that, uh, you know, with The Farmer, uh, because, I mean, I was such a fan of this stuff. I, I recently sold them. I feel bad, but I just didn't have room for them. But I used to, I used to collect the movie Maniacs, and I had... Oh, nice. Uh, ...from Tony and I had probably the first, I think, five, you know, different groups of them, and I just had them for to decide, and, and finally I was like, do I really need them? And I made that stupid impulse decision that I regret now, but I love old school horror movies uh, so much. Here's actually a good question. Uh, it's kind of related to that. Uh, did you see the new Halloween? And then what did you think about that as, you know, uh, something that was jumping 20 years late or however many years later, I should say uh, from the original and erasing all the other ones. I mean, it was like, it's remarkable. I mean, what Blumhouse has done, in overall is remarkable. They've totally turned the entire franchise, um, not just the franchise of Halloween, but the whole genre on its head um, over the last, you know, decade. And in, in the recent years, I mean, with the success of Get Out and now Halloween, it's uh, it's a whole new ball game for the world of horror. And they should get all the credit in the world for that. And who would have ever thought, you know, that Halloween, you could just do it again and it would work you know i remember how halloween h2o <laughs> came out and <laughs> sort of tried to be tried to be the sequel that we were all hoping for and it didn't really deliver 
And, uh, you know, this one sort of stands on its own. It's really crazy, and the box office numbers were just mind-blowing. Uh, really, really cool. And Michael Myers has always been my favorite of all the bad guys. I mean, I, I love Me Freddy, too. obviously. I love Jason. But Michael Myers, there was something about the strong, silent type. Uh, you know, he just – he's the man. And uh, it's really, really, really cool to see that uh, – you know, Halloween did so well, and it's going to open up a lot of doors. I'm sure now we're going to see Nightmare on Elm Street. We're going to see Jason. We're going to see them all come back because, you know, you know, Hollywood has no imagination, and uh, if it worked for Halloween, <laughs> they're going to be rush. They're going to be rushing to order. What else can we do? And uh, so that's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what other monsters start showing up again uh, and being rebooted. I would be shocked if there wasn't a new Freddy Krueger movie. Shocked. Well, it's funny that you said that because uh, Heather, uh, I think it's Langenkamp, the one who played Nancy, both her and Robert yeah. England have said love to do basically Wes Craven's uh, Last Nightmare, but not really like outside in the real universe, but like have a final film. And part of me is like, don't do that. But the other part's like, you know, I love the guy from from uh, from Watchmen uh, who was um, – I forgot the actor's name. I can't think of it for the life of me. But who played Freddy, and it's like anyone besides Robert England, I'm sorry. It's going to be very hard yeah. for me to take them seriously. It, it, it just doesn't – I agree. It's just one of those things. And I got a chance to work with Robert England on a film a few years ago and oh. as an actor, and I was chilling with him, you know, for a good month on set. And every time he talks, it's like – Freddy, it's like, you know, it's like hard to picture him not being Freddy, like even in the most, you know, he's Freddy, and even without the makeup, he's Freddy, and so I really hope that if they do bring it back, uh, he's involved, because, you know, he's what, you know, you could put anybody under under the mask to be one of those other types of characters, but Freddy had a real personality and a voice and a there was something that the actor had to bring to the table to make Freddy what he is, right? And, uh, you know, Robert England's probably the greatest, you know, horror villain performer of all time. So hopefully with uh, Halloween success, we'll get to see Robert back in, a, back in uh, wearing the glove and the hat and the sweater again. Absolutely. I think, yeah, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Michael and Jason, it was good that, you know, Danny McBride and kudos to – you know, a fellow comedian uh, going into the horror genre and being able to take Halloween back. But they got the original Michael Myers. But I think Robert England as Freddy and Brad Dorif as Chucky are the two that are kind of like you need to have those guys involved in it. Uh, but apparently LeBron James is going to be redoing Friday 13th, that he loved the films and he wants to make them. I, it's Like I said, being a horror fan, it scares me, but it also excites me at the same time. But we have a lot of fucking reboots, and it gets kind of repetitive, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, Friday the 13th is a really interesting one, too, because, you know, if you – basically from, like, Friday the 13th Part 2 and on, Jason yep. is, like, the ba- the bad guy. You know, if you – like, in the first movie, it's like – no, spoiler, but it's like not – he's not even the killer. In the first one. Nope, Mama Boys. And so, you know, you, to see the evolution, too, it's like Friday the 13th didn't really start catching its groove until part two and three, et cetera. And, 
Yeah, it's uh, it really just it's amazing. I think in in recent memory, you haven't seen too many, like you said. There hasn't. It's it goes. It's not just with horror movies. It's in general. If you think of like music, even like there's not really like any rock stars anymore. Like who's the big rock band that could like fill a stadium that's come out in the last ten years? There isn't one. Um, I don't know why that is, but I feel like it's the same way with movies too. I mean, you just don't see it anymore. Like I, I guess Saw has a uh, has their character, right? That Jigsaw. But. Uh, yep. I can't think of any too many others. And, and as far as like the comedians taking an approach to horror, as you mentioned, you know, also, you know, Jordan Peele did get out uh, another yep. comedian who lent his voice to this genre. And I, you know, I like to consider myself a bit of a comedian as well. Um, Absolutely. Come from coming from the comedy background that I come from. So I think, you know, that, 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 that tone overall is like a really good approach to, to these types of movies, I like. I, I like to think. I mean, if you can make someone laugh, it's a lot easier to scare them because you know laughter makes you feel comfortable and happy and <laughs> at ease. And then it's very easy, you know, to manipulate the audience once you've got them laughing. And I think that's why it's such a great tool to include humor into into horror. And for sure, that's part of you know both of the films that we've done so far in the future films that we have coming up are pretty much all going to have that type of voice where you can literally, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm not making a snuff film. This is not like uh, Eli Roth, uh, you know, torture porn. This is more of like a throw, this is more of a throwback to like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 where, you know, Freddy started, starts cracking one-liners before he chops people's heads off. It's, it's more like that. And that's how we want Freddy, you know, just chopping people's yeah. heads off and making jokes about it, you know. I mean, and at that uh, at that point, people are watching people are watching Friday the Thirteenth and and Halloween because they're rooting for the bad guys. You know, you're going because of the the movie villain. You're going not to see Freddy get killed. You're going to watch Freddy kill people, and that that's you know, if you can create a bad guy like that, that that, that audiences get behind you. You there's no telling how many incarnations you can have of your film michael myers another example i mean darth vader is like the greatest bad guy of all time every he's still showing up in the new star wars films in some way shape or another like they always go back to 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 darth vader whenever they can so i think you know everybody loves a good bad guy you can't have a good good you can't have a a hero without a good villain there's no batman if there's no joker you know what i mean Absolutely, and you know, and sometimes, folks, uh, with the two examples he had with the shape, aka Michael Myers and Darth Vader, sometimes you don't really need a backstory to make them scary. Anyways, no, uh, you, you you don't. <laughs> I don't even want to go into it because I'm a fan of specifically with Halloween, uh, Rob's other work in horror, and I love his you know his music, but I just it's kind of like the prequels with you know, kind of forming Darth Vader. I didn't need it personally, but let's get out of that. I want to talk a little bit more. You were talking about music and comedy and kind of goes into the next subject. Um, You know, you've had uh, a rap career. I think that probably where I would know you from is some of the fun songs that you did with a known comedian and actor, Jamie Kennedy, your buddy for celebrity stalker and circle, circle, dot, dot. But (laughs) me researching, I was a real big fan of Ordinary Girl. I liked 
the the message oh, I guess maybe I've had yeah, some no. issues myself with, with, with to an extent, but I was able to relate a little with the lyrics. But hey, man, props on you for you know regardless, and all, and then the stuff else that I listen to for having good beats and actually rapping. I really appreciate that with anyone. Uh, thank you. I mean, listen, I'm, I get a little embarrassed about that stuff, but, uh, I definitely, you know, had a great, you know, anything I'm doing, I'm putting everything into it. And even when we were doing music, you know, it was very, it was 110% effort to, to try to put forth something like better than what people are expecting of you. And I think that, you know, when Jamie and I were doing our MTV show and, and um, our record, we were, you know, people were expecting it to be, you know, dog shit. So we wanted to make sure that we went above and beyond and delivered something that blew people's expectations out of the water. And I think um, we did this song called Rollin' with Bob Saget. And uh, the video is on YouTube. And that really set the table for, you know, a lot of stuff that came after us, you know, Lonely Island and other people who had a lot of success doing like comedic type of rap music. But we, 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 we set the bar pretty high with Bob Saget. And, uh, you know, the, the album that you're referring to with Ordinary Girl, uh, you know, that was just a chance to sort of, you know, I had the bug and we, I just wanted to see what else I could, could make happen. And it's interesting, even now when, you know, I'm not, no longer doing that stuff, but um, for our films, I, I score the movies. So I, I'm still doing music and now I'm just applying it in a, in a John Carpenter kind of way and getting to score the movies and sourcing out uh, the music from, you know, friends that I made over my years in the music business. And the music is such a huge part of of both of the movies that uh, we, we, I'm so proud of the music, put it that way. And you can even hear uh, some, some uh, Stu Stone rap music is, finds its way onto the, uh, into the films as well. If you listen closely. But, uh, yeah, music is was so much fun. It's uh, It was new. It was exciting. I got a chance to meet every rapper imaginable. Um, and growing up a, a fan of hip-hop, it was a dream come true to get to chill and meet with, you know, with Wu-Tang Clan and DJ Premier and, uh, you know, Paul Wall and who are, you know, all the big rap stars of, of the era. We were We were right there with them. It was so much fun. You have no idea. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I, I think that you guys definitely had the Lonely Island Boys thing going before they did. And that's nothing against them, obviously. They had some success. But no, those are, good, those are good guys. But I, I remember, um, uh, th- like, those guys used to open for for Jamie on the, on, on, on the road. And we used to, you know, they would be, like, giving us their demos. Like, hey, check this out. Listen to this. And we were always, you know, it, it's just awesome that, they kind of took, I don't think they took what we did, you know, they didn't copy us or anything like that because they were doing their thing, but they sort of took what we did and they, they, they did it on a huge level on with the Saturday Night Live platform. And it was really cool to see, um, you know, Andy Samberg created a whole career out of it, you know, it put him on the map and he's a good guy. He's a really funny guy. So, uh, I'm really happy. I'm really happy for him, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Jamie and I always talk about it like, hey, you know, maybe we were too early. Like when we were doing our MTV show, it was called Blowing Up. And it was sort of like a Curb Your Enthusiasm 
show for hip hop. And maybe it was a little ahead of its time because people like didn't really understand what it was. They were like, was this real? And, you know, maybe if we would have done it three years later, would have, we'd still be doing it right now. You know what I mean? But, uh, we always we 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 reminisce very fondly of that era, and who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll get back into the studio one of these days and 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 give the world a, a sequel they didn't ask for. <laughs> hey man, I would rather listen to a sequel with the two of you guys doing something than any of the little whatever the fucks nowadays in hip hop. I'm very I'm an angry hip hop fan, and you know I mean I, I we all are. You, we, okay, we all are. So I. I, I I can, I can kind of just say that just to see, and I mean, I, it's probably very similar, maybe in aspects to like how people in the eighties, like look back on rock of like that evolution, even though obviously I like stuff that went into that, but it's like, you know, when you have an era like the late sixties, early seventies of rock and roll and how pure it was. And then same thing with hip hop, late eighties, early nineties, going into the two thousands. And it just, it's, it's sad, man. It's, it's Ugh, I don't even want to get into it. I'm making this. I'm making this depressing. I apologize, but I'm a huge fan of hip hop. <laughs> no, me too. And obviously, you know, these days it's more about like how many tattoos do you have on your face, and you know what color is your hair, and how outrageous can you dress, rather than actually being able to like get in the in the booth and spit actual lyrics. Like you don't actually need to be a rapper to rap anymore. Um, no, they got the hype guy rapping constantly. I think it was Soldier Boy that kind of caused it, that shift in realizing like, oh wait, we and I love Flavor Flav, and he would actually rap with Public Enemy, but you, that concept of wait, I can just say something over and over again and make money off yeah. of it, and I don't even have to do yeah. anything else. Like, it's ugh. unbelievable. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. But uh, to the Flavor Flav, to Flavor Flav's defense. Public Enemy's uh, biggest hit record they ever had, their only top ten song they ever had, was the one where Flavor Flav does all the rapping. Nine One One is a joke. Yep. So to uh, to Flav's credit, but uh, yeah, no, I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean, we grew up in an era of you know Notorious B.I.G. and and Mob Deep and Wu Tang Clan and Gangstar and Tribe Called Quest. Outcast. Outcast. Yeah, and and the list goes on and on and on. Goody Mob, and it was just really yep. great. They just really got great. back together. Did they really? That, that's yep. awesome. They're doing a tour. Yep. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of that whole Dungeon family. So anything they do, uh, I keep my eye on. But uh, yeah, I mean, you just don't see it anymore. I mean, even producers like DJ Premier, you he has like a signature sound that's like so clearly you listen to it and you're like, oh, that's DJ Premier. You, you don't even get that anymore. Like they all, all the tracks all sound the same. Everybody's using the same gear and the same plugins and the same drum fills. It's like interchangeable now. It's crazy. Oh it, yeah, it's 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 kind of to exit this conversation, but it's it's like when technology was able to benefit with synthesizers to be able to, you know, people like Stevie Wonder would do that to change sounds to be able to make even more of an array of sounds. And then you get all the way to now, and it's like, well, we'll just have a computer do everything. Fuck it. I mean, we don't yeah. even need a real kid anymore. And being a drummer, I mean, you, you, know, it, you it's don't kinda, even need to be a musician anymore. Like, literally, people are just, like, taking loops and just putting them together. Like, it's become so Fisher-Price. It's so easy to do. And also, the there's no – it's like a wild, wild west. You know, there's nobody – 
there's no labels out there to like curate what's what's good and what's not. Now everybody just has can just record a rap song in their bedroom and put it on SoundCloud that night and hope to go viral. That's like the new yeah. the new school. And you know, it, the result is pretty cool for the artist because now anybody can just blow up. Anybody can just record a song anywhere. Don't you don't even need a studio and you can put a song up on SoundCloud and blow up. That's like that's crazy that you're able to do that now, but it, the bad part about it is that like there's so much more out there now that it's like uh, you if you have something really good you can get lost in a sea of crap and you know it's 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 really it's 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 tough people don't want home cooked meals they want to go to fucking McDonald's and get a dollar chicken sandwich you know what i'm saying like yeah no and you're I, right music, music's the exact same way it it doesn't matter um if it's rock it's like now that corporations have taken it and made it so a certain way with every genre, they'll just grab whoever they want. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really discouraging. You know, you being a music fan and a music artist, me being a music fan and also singer drummer, been in many bands. It's just, it sucks that that's what it's come to, but we're getting all, we're, I mean, we we're, sit, we're getting, we, 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 we sound like, we sound like, we, we, we sound like, uh, you know, every generation, you know, our parents are like, oh, the crap that you guys listen to. It's like now we're at that age where we're like, oh, the crap what? that you guys what? get off my, my lawn. My dad's from Boston. My dad's from DMC, and why are they with Aerosmith? Like, I remember that when I was a kid. Oh, that was the best. You know? Yeah, it was the best. I mean, listen, you know, an Aerosmith, if you, the, the crazy thing is that Aerosmith was like left for dead at the time. You know, they were, yep. they were literally dead. And... Rap music was very like, uh, you know, broken glass everywhere. <laughs> it was very like campy at that point. And I think like Run DMC covering an Aerosmith song, it it not only put Aerosmith back on the map, it not only put Run DMC on the map, but it sort of put hip hop into like fifth gear and opened up a, a lot of doors, especially on MTV back then. If you had a video on MTV, you were you were you were made men. And after that Run DMC song, you know, it opened the doors for hip-hop. LL Cool J, uh, you know, Cool Mo D, uh, what do you call it? Eric B and Rakim, Tribe Called Quest. You started seeing so much more. And nowadays, you know, look at the pop charts now. It's it's all rap. Like, you know, Drake is like the number one selling artist in the history of the world. It's, it's hip-hop is, hip-hop is number one right now, which is, which is crazy. And it's not even because the music isn't even as good as it was, but somehow, um, you know, hip hop is is dominating pop culture, and it's that that is cool. I got I got to say that is cool. Yeah, and I've I've always been weird about this. Uh, to me, rap culture is dominating because I always felt like like if someone were to ask me like the difference between hip hop and rap, I would say integrity or more artistry or more like Nas to me is hip hop. You know, yeah, someone for that. Sure much more rap like people can blur the lines like jay-z can be he can make a rap hit or he can actually you know do some hip-hop but it just depends but that's always and i feel like it's the entertainment value oh man i just we're, we're gonna run on and be like the two old guys complaining in the muppets if we don't yeah. stop with how music is but uh, let's let's put this aggression and talk about all of your other passions into a place that i love to kind of like wrap up this interview uh, with professional wrestling, and 
it was awesome to find out randomly that you're part of a championship wrestling from Hollywood. I know that because of Johnny LaCuasso, because I listen to a lot of his podcasts between Xbox 360 and his DC podcast. But uh, that's how I knew it. You got a, a, a faction called the Family Stone. Uh, Willie Mack's your champion. I'm a huge Willie Mack fan. Uh, tell me a little bit about Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood is uh, another one of those like little engines that could uh, started out on you know one TV station uh, locally in Los Angeles, California, and now it's on in over 70 markets and growing every week. It's uh, one of the fastest growing television hours, as uh, Dave Marquez likes to say. And uh, it's really cool. It's uh, unbelievable. From when I first got into wrestling, I uh, I always loved wrestling. I grew up being a huge pro wrestling fan, and it's like something that I never grew out of. I just love it. And uh, I, I, I was working on a film many years ago, a documentary called The Sheik, which was based on Iron Sheik's life. And when I was... Uh, out doing interviews with wrestlers for the film, I met uh, this guy named Colt Cabana. And uh, Colt and I, we hit it off right away. And he was very interested in starting a podcast. And I was very interested in getting into pro wrestling. So we kind of made a deal uh, where, you know, I would help him launch a podcast. In exchange, he would, like, get me somehow in the door uh, with professional wrestling. And uh, definitely the podcast thing worked out for him, the art of wrestling is a, a staple of uh, of podcasts within the wrestling industry, and I'm proud to say that yeah. uh, indirectly I'm the godfather of of of, of Colt doing that. But uh, he introduced me to a bunch of guys, one of them being David Marquez, who was just starting out Championship Wrestling from Hollywood at the time. And actually, Johnny LaCuasto and I, we both got hired on the same day. Like, Johnny went to go meet with Dave, and I was waiting outside, and I went into the office, or so to speak, as Johnny was coming out. That was the first time we met, and, uh, you know, we both got hired on the same day, and I think we both have never looked back. He has flourished in his role. Um, he's doing, he started out as an announcer, and now he's a lead uh, play-by-play uh, commentator, and he's a really funny guy, and he loves the sport, obviously. And, uh, you know, I got to sort of be, channel my own Bobby the Brain Heenan type of vibe and become a, a heel and a and lead a, a faction, like a Heenan family type of stable. And uh, a lot of the guys that we were working with have now all gone on to, you know, WWE and beyond. So it's been really cool to be able to see guys that I'm friends with that are, you know, elevating and making big names for themselves and big careers. Willie Mack is a great example. You mentioned Willie. You know, I've, I was around for Willie's beginnings. And when he first won the championship um, back in Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, back in the day, him and Scorpio Sky had a legendary feud and a, an amazing match where Willie finally got over the hump and won the championship for the first time. And I remember being emotional for Willie. He, this is a guy that was, you know, practically homeless at the time. He used to take the bus four hours, six buses just to get to the wrestling show. And uh, just a guy that busted his ass and had so much athletic ability for somebody that, that looks like he does. And it's, you know, it's just great to see Willie making, making a name for himself. He's incredible. And I think his star is just going to, is just getting started. It's going to just continue to rise in the next couple of years are going to be huge for Willie. I know he's working with uh, the NWA now. He's the national champion. He won 
the the championship yep. at the 70, 70th anniversary show. So I think you know there's that just shows you how what Willie's reputation is for him to be put in a spot like that. And I know he's all he always delivers. So really cool uh, to see Willie shining. Absolutely, Willie Mack reminds me, and I think as wrestling fans all kind of tend to do this, where we just compare to the old guys. But there's so, he reminds me of like Junkyard Dog and Dusty Rhodes just combined. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I love Dusty it. Rhodes. He's he's what Dusty Rhodes was was, was aiming for. <laughs> you know, uh, Willie yep. is the real deal. But 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 as, as an athlete, he's does way more than what Dusty had. You know, back then, Dusty didn't have to do that stuff because Dusty was such an over-the-top character and great on the stick that in, in wrestling back then, you didn't, you didn't need to, like, do flips and jump off the top rope and stuff like that. Nowadays, wrestling fans are so much more demanding over the performers and what they expect from a wrestler to do in the ring. And, you know, Willie has taken what Dusty's character would have been and added in the arsenal of a cruiserweight if, or a powerhouse. And, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. If you ask anybody, they're going to say the same thing. Willie is a throwback to Dusty Rhodes. And like I would say, you know, the junkyard dog in a lot of ways too, but he's got that body type that uh, defies, you know, you, you see him do a standing moonsault. You're like, how the hell did he do that? Yeah. Uh, he, him and Keith Lee, man. I don't I, there's certain wrestlers, him, Keith Lee, uh, Jeff Cobb, they defy gravity sometimes when you're yeah. watching them. It's incredible. Well, well, Jeff Cobb is another one. He's the real deal. Uh, you know, he was a, a legit amateur wrestler, has a huge pedigree in, in wrestling. And, I, you know, we, these, are, these are the type of guys that you're naming that, that come through the curtain at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, you know. We're on, on a wrestler's path from the independent – uh, to to the main stages of WWE, they got to come through places like Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And I think that the thing that makes um, the Championship Wrestling show so great is that it gives wrestlers who are just used to wrestling, you know, in armories and on independent shows, a chance to sort of experience what TV is going to be like. You know, you don't get that experience in other places where it is such there is such a focus on the television aspect and the television show aspect more so than anything else. And the training and the experience that you get being in the ring um, at a championship wrestling from Hollywood show totally helps these guys' careers. I mean, Jeff Cobb is a freak athlete. He's unbelievable. And now, you know, having him, he would probably tell you himself, you know, being on shows like championship wrestling from Hollywood helped him as a performer to know what to do. It's different when you're, trying to play for a camera with millions of people watching at home rather than just the, you know, a thousand people that are in the, in the, in the crowd watching the match. It's a whole different thing. And uh, that's something that championship wrestling from Hollywood definitely helped a lot of these guys with. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Jeff Cobb is incredible. Brian Cage is another guy who's oh, man. over three, over 300 pounds and, and, and does things that defy logic. Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of them out there now. And I think they're, they're they're starting to get attention, and it's great to see. I mean, originally, I would say the best I ever saw, we, we, we had, at one point, we had Austin Aries and Scorpio Sky and, and Cesaro. Claudio was on, the three of those guys were, were working a, sort of an angle, an angle together. And it was just a treat 
And Willie Mack, I believe, was involved in that storyline too, if I'm not mistaken. But just to see the matches that these guys were having, it was like you knew that this was special. And all of those guys that I just mentioned are all unbelievable performers. You know, Cesaro might be one of the best. People don't realize it, yep. but the guy's so so good. Uh, but you could tell back then that how good they were. They were just naturals. Yeah, I always say Cesaro reminds me, and I think you'll have a similar, which is not a bad career at all, but like Davy Boy Smith was in his generation of being this huge, great jack wrestler. But his strength was awesome, and his agility was amazing too. Um, yeah, I kind of I would love Cesaro go further. I don't even want to talk about WWE. It's kind of like talking about modern hip hop sometimes. Like it's just like a love hate relationship. Because if honestly, and I, I hate saying this, but if I didn't have to watch Raw to cover it for my uh, my wrestling podcast, I probably wouldn't watch it. I love SmackDown. I love NXT. I love MLW. I've watched you guys from time to time. Love Lucha Underground. I watch Impact once in a while. But I I Vince McMahon very much probably to you too, is, is like a Walt Disney for my generation. But I feel sure. a that he's getting a little bit out of touch. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing SmackDown move to ESPN to be more sports-driven, like they're saying, uh, because I know that Vince is not as hands-on. Of course, he's a final decision, but Road Dog and Triple H kind of mainly go over, you know, the the booking and stuff like that. I just don't like the micromanaging and I really hate the scripted promos. I can't stand that shit. Yeah. Well, I, I, the scripted promos part for sure. I think at some point probably they lost trust in some of the performers and sort of maybe felt like they had to do that. Um, but I listen to Vince's credit to, to counter, to, not that he needs me to come to his aid, but to counter point what you just said, which you're not wrong in what you're saying. But, uh, you know, if you ask, Radiohead to do a show every single week, three hours, eventually, you know, you're going to get more misses than hits. Like, even the greatest, even the greatest genius of all time isn't going to get, be perfect every single time. And if you think about the longevity of how long Vince has been a storyteller for and how many hours of television they're filling every week for the last 30 years, you know, uh, there's only so many different ways you can tell that story. And Eventually, you know, you're going to get to a place where you're at. Uh, you know, even the greatest painter in the world isn't, at some point, their paintings are not going to be as good as the ones before. You know what I mean? So, listen, I, 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 I think that sometimes they get it right. And when they do, it's, it's amazing. I think the WrestleMania, um, the one when the Hardy Boys came back, that was so awesome. Crazy. That was, that, you know, that was like a huge markout moment that for everybody, and uh, yeah. you know, so so sometimes those magical moments still do exist. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It, it would be hard for anybody. It would be hard for The Walking Dead or to, to do fifty-two episodes a year, three hours long, and then another fifty-two episodes a year, two hours long, and a pay-per-view. Like eventually, you would be saying the same thing about anybody. Uh, so that's the only, that's how I'm going to come to Vince's defense that, uh, he's been doing it for so long, but listen, the NXT stuff is so fun to watch. The, the, the action is, is can't miss. You can tell that the guys and girls, uh, on the show on the, especially on those takeover pay-per-views are really going for it trying to show the boss that they're worthy of the call up. And, and, and as a result, you're seeing unbelievable, uh, matches. 
uh, it's, 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 the NXT stuff is really exciting. Yeah, NXT is almost at the level of at least containing it more sportsmanlike, like New Japan does, than a lot of other than at least Raw and SmackDown. Uh, well, Raw mainly. I don't know. You've definitely Stuart Stone over here, guys. You know, talking me off the ledge. I just, uh, you know, watching this every week, time to time, I get a little bit annoyed. But I'm also someone that comes to Vince, uh, you know, defense a lot of times myself too when people are. A little bit too ridiculous with their claims and everything. We're going at a time in wrestling where it's all exposed. Everyone knows entertainment form. There's nothing else besides that. And Vince has built this form of wrestling with WWF, you know, in the 80s of a certain style and a certain, you know, in style itself too, telling stories, their version of psychology. That's different than before previous with the NWA, the Crockett's, all that stuff. And is different than a lot of the other – what I love about wrestling is that, you know, to kind of like wrap things up with this, is that you can find good wrestling in any form. There's so many different things. I watched Triple Mania, and that was so different than All In, and that was so different than, oh, you that know. All in, uh, that All In show was so good. Oh, it was awesome. It was so dope. Yeah. Uh, uh, I loved it. But, I, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're 100% right. But, uh, you know, at the same time with wrestling bands, we're – we're sadists in a lot, we're sadists in a lot of ways too though we like the self punishment because you know wrestling fans are a lot like star trek fans like we'll watch anything wrestling we'll watch bad wrestling we'll watch good wrestling we'll watch any wrestling and it's like star trek fans will watch any star trek good star trek bad star trek they're just they love star trek i think in a lot of ways there's there's a fair comparison there but you know i have the wwe network and i find myself like watching old WCW pay-per-views that were probably terrible at the time, but now I love them. Uh, so, yep. you know, you never know. You may look back at this era and, and, and find that you ended up liking it. But listen, people shit all over, uh, you know, how they have Brock Lesnar, uh, you know, in the top spot. But, you know, Brock Lesnar is, is he's the man. I mean, in real life, Brock Lesnar is, would beat the shit out of anybody. And his style, I guess it's, you know, maybe it's getting staler now, but I mean, his comeback and his matches that he had with Cena and it's incredible. Like he looked like he killed Cena. There was like the match where he beat the shit out of him. He, it was unbelievable. And uh, I just like his style. I think that he works. You know, now they're working in a way sort of to protect him because he's obviously got a UFC fight coming up. But when he goes 20 minutes or 15 minutes, it's it's always a, a good match. I haven't seen a bad one. No, and he's legitimate. I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, you look at Brock Lesnar. This is someone that has championship ranks in legitimate, you know, MMA with UFC and also before that with Russ and LA. And then he's also had accolades of being the IWGP champion. He's been how many times a universal champion, the WWF champion, and the world heavyweight, which has lineage with the NWA. I mean, he's a very decorated – he's basically Vince's version. He's very much a heel version of this. Vince's version of how Vince Sr. looked at Bruno San Martino in his later years. Yeah, for he's sure. He's an attractive yeah. – he has physical presence, and he doesn't have to say much. Just get in that ring and, you know, make basically them the, – the, the promoter money. But I feel like I've held you up 
for a very long time, man, and I, I want to wrap this up, but I want to say this has been one of my favorite interviews I've had in a very long time, and I have a podcast that's a part of Geek Vibes Nation and everything that we do called Wrestling Geeks Alliance that if you're ever free, maybe we can talk to you know, whoever we have to, your publicist or, or whoever, and maybe get you on that show either to talk more yeah, specifically about wrestling or we sure, can have you just co host I would love no, that would too. Love that. Um, yeah. But, Stuart, it's been great talking to you, man. Um, you are, like I said, you are up there for Renaissance Man with Dean Kane, uh, as far as people <laughs> have interviewed. And if you don't know that I'll reference, that guy went yeah. third football player. You know, it's craziness. I, when, I, when I was like, what? Superman? I didn't even know he was part Japanese. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, Either good. way. God bless him. Uh, yeah, yeah man, no thank kidding, you. Man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the love. And if people can look out for Scarecrows, it's coming out December 11th. And uh, definitely check it out. And if you want to follow along with my journey, I got I'm on all the social media platforms under Stu Stone S T U S T O N E, and you can check out you know what's next for us uh, movie wise. The Jack of All Trades movie is going to come out in the states also uh, early next year. So there's some cool stuff to uh, coming out. So thanks for having me, and best of luck to you with everything. And hopefully we'll get to talk wrestling on your other show very soon. Absolutely, Stu. Thank you so much for being on, and have a wonderful evening. You too, man. Take care. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the amazing Stuart Stone. Uh, Really had a fun time talking to this guy. Obviously, we've been rambling for over an hour, but, I mean, like his, his documentary about baseball cards kind of represents who he is. He's a jack of all trades. I mean, he's been a part of animation that I watched. He was part of a movie that I watched in high school that that spoke to me uh, in a very weird way, but still spoke to me nonetheless, you know, and he's a lover of of professional wrestling and horror movies. So had a great time geeking out with him. Definitely going to have him on Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You guys just wait around to find out more information about that. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview as always. And if you want to, you know, and unless you already have, and then do it more. But if you want to, check out our wonderful website at gvnation.com. That's GV as in Geek Vibes, nation.com. That has all of our news from our wonderful writing staff, um, all the updates for what we're doing, uh, as well as, you know, all the audio stuff for iTunes and Blog Talk for our shows, like Wrestling Geeks Alliance, which is on Wednesday nights, like I said, and Geek Vibes Live, our Sunday night show, as well as many other shows, Full Court Press, top 10 show, et cetera, et cetera. All on Blog Talk, all on iTunes, check that out. And then a link to all of our social medias at Facebook, at Instagram, at Twitter. Join us. Join the conversation. Take over this world with Geek Vibes Nation. You guys have a good one out there. Peace out. And let the Geek Vibes be with you.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.